Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. Welcome everybody to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. I am Ben Myers of Bullpen Research and Consulting here with my co-host, uh, Mr. Steve Cameron. How's it going, Steve? It's going fantastic. Good to see you again, Zo- virtually on the Zoom call, but uh, you know, great, great to be back for episode number nine. Episode number nine, and we have a fantastic guest uh, today. The, uh, the condo pro almost needs no introduction, um, but we have Baker Real Estate's Barbara Lawler. Barbara, thank you for coming on the show with us. Great pleasure, Ben. Happy to be here. And hi, Steve. Thank you so much for joining us. We're super excited and honored that you agreed to do this. And, um, you know, I think we have a lot to cover. So uh, let's jump right into it. Usually, like we, uh, like we mentioned, we like to kind of get uh, a bit of a chronological timeline of, of your career. And, you know, you, you have quite the resume and a lot of accomplishments and, and very established at Baker, but you know, I'm sure you started uh, somewhere at the bottom and why don't you tell us a little <laughs> bit about how you got into the business, maybe where you went to university and how you transitioned out of school into a, into a successful career in real estate. I actually got licensed in 1987, which, uh, you know, I, I've been in the business for a very long time. Uh, But uh, when I I started, it was uh, out of an interest in architecture. I love architecture and it has always fascinated me. And I thought, well, real estate might be a good career to to point myself towards. Uh, So I got licensed and uh, at the time, in 87, it was still Martin Atkins leading the, uh, the condominium push. And uh, so I joined Martin and uh, spent a couple of years with him until he closed his doors. Uh, Martin, back in those days, was the king of the condos. And he was a real showman who, who did all these events and ringing the bell when a, when a unit sold. And he was very showy. And uh, it, he was very successful, too, until he uh, decided to move to the States. And mm-hmm. around that time, uh, I heard that there was a woman named Pat Baker starting up a condominium group. And uh, I thought that, you know, that was really what I was interested in by then. And uh, I, I went and met Pat and we clicked. And that was probably one of the most auspicious meetings of my career, meeting Pat, because uh, you know, naturally, Pat Baker is a woman, and uh, it has been incredible being mentored by her. And uh, she opened her doors in 1993, and I have been with her since 1993. Wow! wow. So yeah, so that yeah. was certainly an, an interesting time to start a uh, a brokerage. Um, obviously, the market crashed in 1989 and and uh you know obviously you know myself having tracked the numbers at urbanation not quite that far back i was 
still in high school then. <laughs> but I, but I, could, I saw that, you know, the numbers were, were, there was almost no new condo sales happening right now. Yeah. How did, uh, how did Pat have like the vision to, uh, to think she could, uh, you know, sell some new condos? Well, I think uh, it probably helped that her husband uh, was uh, Barclay Grayson and uh, they were developing condominiums so she could, she had an immediate entree to selling condominiums and she was just a fantastic marketer and uh, really got into it uh, and, you know, used media and uh, created exciting ways of doing things. And um, it really appealed to me coming from my early background with Martin Atkins. Uh, and you're absolutely right, Ben. Uh, we, uh, like we, we didn't even do 5% of the market uh, back in those days. And uh, you know that over the last several years, new construction condominiums have been over 50% of the new construction market. So it's been a hell of a journey mm. and uh, really great, all the ups and downs. I mean, yes, we sold through the recession in the 90s. We sold through uh, the banking crisis in 08, 09, and here we are in COVID still selling. Uh, so yeah, great big journey. <laughs> Why don't you Loving tell us about it. one of the uh, one of your uh, earliest projects that you launched, and um, you know, one, one, maybe give us a memory of, of one of how how the business sort of uh, has evolved in terms of what you're seeing today when you're doing a launch compared to maybe what you were seeing in uh, the early '90s, and and maybe the strategies you used there that you look back and say, wow, that that's really archaic. I can't believe that worked. <laughs> <laughs> um... I think one of the big memories I have is when uh, Baker launched uh, NY Towers up at Bayview and Shepherd for, for Daniels. And we had realized in our own conversations that, uh, that the brokers weren't involved. Uh, you know, in those days we used to put out, you know, six full page ads in the Toronto Star and the Globe and Mail and all of the registrations would come in and we'd have a call center because those registrations were coming into a phone number. <laughs> so we'd have a call center and they'd be, you know, filling out registration sheets by hand and then we'd be entering them into the database and uh, I mean how things have changed. Um, but we realized that there was no brokerage participation back when we started. And it was, it was in many ways due to there being a lack of insight and information to the brokers. Uh, they were all resale brokerages back then. And they were used to closing deals in 60 to 90 days. So they really didn't get wow. that, you know, you were going to sell something that was going to close in five years. They didn't get that. So we, we spent a lot of time going around to brokerages and educating them. And we got the developers on board to pay half of their fee uh, when the deal went firm, and then half of the fee on final closing, which I think was uh, was far more attractive 
to a resale group that was used to getting uh, their fee in uh, 60 to 90 days. So um, that, that, that was uh, the beginning of getting the brokers involved. And I do remember at NY Towers, um, the, the Chinese brokers were the first to get up involved. They got the picture. They, they uh, saw the future. They saw the investment potential. And I remember we had two very prominent Chinese brokers at NY Towers. Um, and they're still in great in the business today, both of them. But they both came uh, early to the sale for NY Towers that first hour. And, uh, and they formed separate lines, which was a real, you know, confusion for us at Baker. Like how did, like we were doing like, you know, upon first in line got to come up and choose their unit first. So we had two lines. So why was, why was there two lines? What was the purpose that they just wanted their, their brokers to have their own separate line? Exactly. Exactly. So you had to service each line independently. Yeah, well, we couldn't. So we had to have a meeting with the two brokers of record <laughs> and sit down and get everybody to agree. And they did. Everybody, you know, one from this line, one from that line. <laughs> Too funny. That is funny. It was really funny. But uh, from there, uh, it, it became more normal for brokerages to get involved. And we've spent a great deal of time educating brokers over the years. Uh, we have a club that we formed about 20 years ago. It's called Baker Realty Partners. And we have over 12,000 brokers that we've done business with, that we've actually done business with. And we can uh, today with technology, which has really changed things, we can pull up uh, the top 50 brokers, the top 100 brokers, the top 500 brokers, or send it out to the entire 12,000, depending on the response uh, that we're looking for. Um, but sending out to those big numbers also brought us heartbreak as, as well, heartbreak in an interesting way as time went on uh, because um, many years ago when we started out at, at uh, M City in Mississauga we got 10,000 worksheets for a building that had 600 units and I mean yes that was wonderful from a sales perspective but we got a lot of <laughs> press about it and uh, it certainly changed how we were approaching things and I think that led into the more careful and conventional and planned allocation uh, method that is is more popular today uh, that was that really sort of blew the roof off uh, getting mm -hmm. that number of, of worksheets on on a project why not i know not everyone that listens to the podcast is you know um a real estate industry insider and may not know how it works i know I mean, obviously, there, you know, 10, 15 years ago, it was like a project launched and there was a lineup out the door and the first person in got the sale. And now it and um, and then it became, you know, a lot of the deals were being done by brokers. And now it seems you have a project and you're only allocating a certain amount of units to your top brokers. So 
So maybe you can just kind of run us through how that process works and what, what you mean by submitting worksheets. Well, uh, before we moved to allocation, uh, we, we would ask the brokers to send in their worksheets. And a worksheet is where they fill out, you know, their potential buyers information and a selection of units that that potential buyer is interested in. And um, you would go through all of the worksheets and you know they were on a time stamped uh received uh at such and such a time and such and such a date and you would go through your worksheets and try to fit uh what the request was for if it was for a one plus a day and you try to give them the, the nearest uh unit that was available and and then you would have the process of the sales reps uh, getting into uh, phoning them and having a conversation with the broker and saying we can offer you this unit on this floor and uh, that would require a yes or a no and then a booking a signing appointment so allocations works a little bit differently in that usually uh, and many of our developers are repeat developers where they have uh, a group of agents who've really been faithful to them and loyal and looked after them and stood up for every building they bring. So they uh, very much like us to go to that group first. And we go, uh, we have conversations. There are educational, informal meetings before uh, the allocation process begins where we talk about the building, the stats, uh, we give them the insight and whatever assets we have to showcase the building we're bringing. And uh, we meet with them and we get a sense of who they think their clientele is and what interest, what uh, units they'd be most interested in. So uh, then the allocation process is where we sit down and we say, oh, well, he really uh, wants only uh, the lower floors and this guy wants the mid floors and we allocate according as best we can according to um, To what they've asked us to give them and <laughs> it usually works out I have a question it might be an, um, a naive question, but what is the so in a new condominium? What is the percentage of units that are sold? through the broker channel versus direct to a walk-in to a sales center, say. So if uh, I, I was walking by and I wanted to purchase a unit, am I better to go through a broker because they get the allocation to the sort of preferable units? Or am I, uh, am I gonna have the same amount of luck if I walk into the sales center and meet with one of your reps? Uh, it depends on the timing, and uh, we've certainly sold many of, uh, of our recent buildings. Um, without a sales center. So that makes it difficult to have a place to walk into. Um, I would Is say- Is that a trend that, you're seeing in the market, less sales centers? You know, uh, for a long time we were because the market was so buoyant. Um, and then we saw a slight trend in recent, like in the last year or so, where we were starting to see sales centers again. And, um, 
one of, I mean, one of the most magnificent recent uh, sales centers that we've been involved in would, would have been 11 YV, 11 Yorkville. Yeah was quite spectacular. Um, but it will be interesting to see uh, where the market will go post-COVID. Uh, I, I think people will still want to see, feel, touch. But, uh, you know, until we get past, you know, you can only gather in groups of five, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's going to have an effect on the future of presentation centers. Um, so I think uh, new construction condominiums have, have been fortunate in that we were already signing because we're investor driven uh, and it's, it's in great part because of the, uh, you know, you put your money down today and then you watch your return on your deposit grow for five years and your equity grows during that five years. So that model, that business model uh, is very relevant uh, even during COVID and that's how we continue to sell during COVID. Um, so I think that uh, the, the investor market has, has become hugely important to the new construction condominium market. Um, it is, it's, it's, it's a big part of it. And there's always a lot of questions. Um, you know, when I'm looking at, at financing, you know, from my perspective, we, we, uh, we finance a number of uh, condominiums, uh, the construction on the, from the construction side. And, um, we look at the buyers, we look at the deposits that are going in and, you know, there's yes. always the conversation, is this an investor building or is this an end user building? We have that, we have that conversation all the time. And the reason why we ask that question is because, um, you know, I think there's a, there's a sentiment that uh, an investor may be more likely to walk from their deposit. They're probably a higher net worth. They probably are uh, <laughs> putting deposits down on a number of units. If the market was to change and, the, and you know, there's a large deposit down, it may not be a large sum for them personally. So if they had to walk from it, it wouldn't be the end of the world. Whereas if you have an, an end user buying condominium, they're probably putting their life savings down and there's, there's no way they're going to walk from that hundred grand, 250 grand, whatever it is. And they're going to close that unit to make sure they save their deposit. So, well, it's, it's an interesting point that you bring up, Steve. Uh, but we had several high rises that were occupying during COVID. Uh, big towers. Can you and, tell us about ones? Uh, well, I, I guess, yeah, we can talk about King Blue down in the entertainment district, uh, Dundas Square Gardens. Um, I mean, those are two really big towers. Yeah, they're huge. And uh, their occupancies have been like, you know, 99%. And why wouldn't they be? If you think about it, we sold those condos uh, six years ago. Oh, I don't even like, know what, 800 bucks a foot, 700 bucks a foot. You know, like maybe even 650. Wow. And now, uh, now you, now you probably can't buy it. You, you probably, what are they? 1250 now on a resale? Well, one would be, you know, 1250, the other one would be 1400, you know? Wow. So why wouldn't people close? It right. doesn't, it doesn't add up. Uh, I think that the new construction condominium industry is set up, uh, to investors in the first place, and it is the end users who come out 
when they see the construction is underway. But the investors are always first out of the gate um, because they're willing to risk putting their money down and then, uh, you know, the end users show up later. There is a small shift uh, towards end users and boutique style up more luxury offerings and they're very definitely end user buildings but i think for the most part the uh the buildings that we're selling are primarily investors and you did ask the question what's the percentage of broker driven deals and it's definitely in the 90 percentile wow. at, at, at this point it is huge but it doesn't mean that uh, they're investors who don't step up to close because right. we're not seeing that at all. So, so let me ask you another question. I'm just going to play devil's advocate because the, the example you just used, obviously it works with uh, condo prices continually going up and up and up, right? So you bought for 650 now it's worth 1250 Of course, you're going to close. I mean, you know, there, there is the risk and maybe this is a good time to talk about, you know, what CMH, CMHC just released a, a report saying they're expecting housing prices to fall. Uh, I think it's nine to 12%. You know, that model doesn't work if, if, the, if the market falls off and prices drop, right? In, in the time from when you sell to when they're occupying. Have you ever I, been I, in a case, have you ever been in a situation with a building where you pre-sold condos and when they went to close or occupy, the number was lower? Uh, actually, no. Um, but I, I will say that uh, some buildings have closed uh, where the, the price was much higher as opposed to there was a gentle increase in price. Right. Uh, and, and it depends on the size of the, of the building too because some buildings will get built and close within three years. Uh, some buildings take seven years. Right. Uh, depends on, on the state of the high-rise. And yes, I did see the uh, CMHC report, and um, I'm not entirely sure I agree with their position. Okay, uh, okay. If we're, if we're in a, uh, and we were, in a very buoyant supply exceeding, our demand exceeding supply marketplace uh, when COVID hit, uh, the reality is that supply has dwindled. If anything, we have less supply uh, as we come out of COVID, but the demand has not been uh, met. They've not been really able to participate because we have not been launching buildings. I mean, we had a pipeline uh, of buildings that were set to launch in March, in April, in May, uh, you know, during this year. And the reality is that these developers are not going to undersell their product. Right. They have AAA locations and they'll simply stay out of the market and wait until uh, the market comes back up if there is a fallout. And there might be a short-term shake, uh, but the reality is we have not discounted during COVID None of our developers have discounted and anything that we're bringing now that we're starting to come back, we're bringing at exactly the price that we intended to, uh, to bring the product out at. Uh, so I'm, I'm not terribly sure about that. Uh, yes, there will be a slowdown 
in immigration because that was my next question yeah well <laughs> that's where i was going with this you read my mind <laughs> i read sure your mind. was thinking the same thing <laughs> <laughs> there's yes there's a slowdown but the reality is that you know borders are closed and international travel is really sticky at the moment but you know there was like immigration is not going to stop coming into canada we're we're uh, approved for 350 new thousand newcomers each year and uh we were we were really like we're a very welcoming country um the the week before the lockdown in New Delhi, 4,000 applications were received by the Canadian consulate wow. for people to immigrate to Canada. I think if anything, we're going to see an increase in immigration. Right. Yes, again, there may be, uh, there may be some shakes uh, as we come out of the immediacy of COVID, uh, and the numbers might not look as good, but once the international travel thing gets open again, uh, I mean, there was there was a report from one of the leading immigration law firms, and uh, thirty thousand people were actually uh, approved and invited to come uh, during COVID. So. There's, um, I, I think we're, we're too present-minded in the crises that we're in. But I think if you look to the future, the, uh, the market will rebound. And I, I'm, I'm lucky in that uh, I have access to, a, to our partners in, a, in our business, which is Peerage Realty Partners. And they have exposed uh, uh, the leaders of their companies throughout the US and myself here in Toronto and, uh, and others in Canada. Um, to CEOs of, of their US based who are ahead of us coming out of the, of the COVID crisis. And they literally went from lockdown to right back up to where they were previously in a matter of weeks. I think we're going to see something similar that uh, we will we will come back out of this faster than uh, than there's a lot of press about at the moment. Interesting. We should have a we should have a new segment on our show called Hot Takes because that's a hot take from Barbara right there, and I like <laughs> it. It's a little controversial. It's it's yeah. against what the economists some of the cons, economists are saying. You're, 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 it sounds like you're predicting a bit of a V-shaped recovery in terms of you know shooting right I, back to where things were. That's I've seen. I like it. I've seen V-shapes uh, from some of our U.S. counterparts. Interesting. Well, I had a quick question on, on I guess, uh, getting back to investors. And how are you advising your clients now on, on outside broker fees? Are you, you, are you uh, in commissions? Are you saying exact same thing as before the pandemic? Are you, you know, um, telling them any more incentives, you know, rental guarantees or any, any interesting things that uh, they're thinking about doing for a potential fall launch? 
Um, during COVID, Ben, uh, we went to our developers and said, uh, we, our recommendation was the best thing you could do is to ease your deposits, spread them out over a longer period of time. If you're at construction, consider taking less deposits. If you, you know, if you've passed your threshold for financing. Um, and I must say, and ease up on the people who are asking for extensions. And all of our developers across the board uh, were very understanding and uh, didn't let deals go into default during the uh, lockdown and helped people with extensions. Um, you know, so I think deposits are a big, a big thing. And I, I know it's very hard for developers to, to take less deposit coming out of the gate. Uh, in in launch territory, um, but uh, because they have to reach a threshold in order to get their financing, um, but I, I do think that uh, we will see gentler deposits, you know, spread out a little bit more. Um, we did not see uh, incentives uh, across the board. What we did see is one of our biggest developers um, give a, uh, it's not so much a rental guarantee, but during COVID, he gave a price guarantee, which was the price you pay today, if it discounts before occupancy, we will give you the benefit of that discount. and. Uh, he sold very well during COVID because of that. Mm. Uh, I think it was very uh, comforting for investors to know that. Um, so uh, there's very little lease back going on in the city. We do have a great one over at the United building. Uh, that's probably uh, the best lease back that I've ever been involved with. And um, that, uh, so there's not a lot of that going on. I mean, can you explain, can you explain a little bit what the, what the lease back is? Yeah, and, I, th and I think honestly, I think that people think when a developer guarantees six percent that they're trying, they're like making a forecast for the future, right? Yes. They, they say, well, in 2024, rents will be six dollars a foot, right? You know. Well, exactly, exactly. Um, so uh, this lease back is probably the simplest one that I've ever seen, and it has uh, worked tremendously well at the United Building. Is that uh, the one on the East End? Is that? Um... No, no, that's Dundas and University. It's on University. Who's the developer? Dav. Hang on a second. Davport. Yeah. Davport. Right. Right. Davport. Okay. So they're, so they're doing so they're doing a guaranteed uh, lease out program for all the all the investors. Yes, and they just got their uh, their demolition permit uh, approved by council. So we're starting uh, the last tenants move out of that building, which is uh, a historical facade. In fact, it's the 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 largest historical facade to be uh, to be developed uh, in this fashion in North America. So um, the last tenants move out of the building on August the 31st, and uh, we're going into you know preparing for demolition on the 1st of September. So. That's great. Very excited about that. Mm -hmm. But back to their lease back. Um, it's a three-year lease back. 
uh, and at $8 a square foot. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's going to take at least six years to, uh, to get up there, you know, to get the building up and uh, get to any kind of a closing scenario. But they have faith and I have faith. Interesting. So that means, so hold on, eight bucks a foot. Yeah. So you're saying the, the rent would be like for a 700 square foot condo, you're looking at 5,600 bucks a month? Yeah, 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 yeah. Am I doing that math? That that is eight sevens are fifty six. Yeah, those those are astronomical numbers. Holy smokes! I yes, I thought four bucks a foot was was um, was high on the rent. Well, no, right, I mean, if you, if you if you look at Yorkville and and this tower is a high end luxury tower, uh, and it has been selling at at Yorkville prices. Um, if you if you look at uh, Yorkville, is you, you know a, lo a lot of the higher end buildings are into the six dollars a square foot now. Wow. So so if you tag on another six to eight years of growth, yeah, yeah, that's where Toronto is going. Yeah, let's talk about that. So where is Toronto going? What is what is you know if you had a crystal ball, um, I I assume you know you were were we're assuming growth and, and appreciation. Where are the numbers going on a sale price per foot in Toronto from your perspective? I think the average right now, I think across, I don't know, you would know this number better than me. Anecdotally, I think it's around, you know, given the location, 1200, 1150, 1250, upwards of $1,400 a foot in some locations. Yorkville is obviously much higher. I looked at a project this morning just outside of Yorkville, Young and Bloor. They're forecasting 1525 a foot. Um, curious, where do you think it's going to go? What's the cap, or is there a cap? Toronto is a is a young but really uh, great city, uh, and why would we be different to the great cities of the world? Uh, we are an immigration magnet for people because of our conservative politics, because of our uh, economy, because of our, you know, this great healthcare, because of, there's so many great things about, uh, about this country. And it's a young country. And it's really starting to, to become a great city. So why would we be different to the great cities of the world, New York, London, uh, Paris, uh, you know, all uh, the Chinese cities, uh, you know, Hong Kong, uh, Beijing, Shanghai, you know, there's so many great cities in the world. And I firmly believe that Toronto is on the path to become one of the great cities of the world. So in my mind, uh, we may be dealing with short-term uh, adjustments, but ultimately, uh, I believe in the future of Toronto, and I'm very positive about, uh, I mean, you're hearing a lot of chat today about uh, people moving to the suburbs. And my feeling about that is that cities 
have been magnets for people for thousands of years, mm. thousands of years. And there's right. a reason why people are drawn into cities. And it's partly because of the energy of cities, but it's also because of, of the, the social interaction, the, uh, the, um, the lifestyle, the amenities, the culture, the, the transportation, the jobs, all of that, it's not going to go away. It's, it's maybe going to have a little, you know, shimmy uh, as we come out of COVID. Right. Um, but it's, it's not going to change the way uh, the human race has, has worked for thousands of years. We're going to come back. And, uh, you know, the city is where the action is, and people are always drawn to that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, we're, a, we're, a, we're a Toronto podcast, but I know that you have, um, you have, you're selling in other markets. So how, how does Toronto compare to a, a Florida or a Montreal? And, and, and do your, are your views significantly different on Toronto compared to the other cities that you're selling in? Well, certainly uh, Montreal has come up uh, so greatly in the last couple of years. And we, we have a very high functioning office there uh, on the ground in Montreal, selling Montreal projects. And um, I, I, think, uh, I think Montreal has a great future. Um, with regard to our other offices, uh, Ben, we sell Toronto product in Vancouver. We sell Toronto product when we go to Shanghai and, and other cities in, uh, in Asia. Um, but I, I think um, like Toronto has so much going on and we're able to tell such a fabulous story about our city. Um, I mean, you know, Toronto's full of immigrants and I'm one of them. I came here from Dublin uh, as an adult. So uh, like I'm one of them. And when we have our broker meetings, uh, it, it's like the United Nations. And that's something wonderful about the Canadian uh, landscape and the welcoming country that it is to our immigrants. And I, I really do believe that um, that all of that will come roaring back and the future is very bright for Toronto. I agree with you. I was sitting with a prominent uh, condo, Toronto condo developer yesterday at his house. Uh, we went over, we had a socially distant uh, meeting in his backyard, which was fantastic actually to see him and just to have a conversation. Uh, but we were on this topic and he was talking about Toronto and, and just how passionate he was about the city and how great of a place it was, how much he travels, but just how much he looks forward to coming home yeah. um, and being here, the energy here, the multiculturalism. Yes. Um, it's a safe place to live. It's clean. You know, generally speaking, uh, the, the economy has been great. Government is fair. There's democratic process that works. Um, yeah, you're, you're right. There's a lot of, of, of promise. And if you look at Toronto over the last 20 years, you know, one thing, now I'll give you a hot take because I've, I've heard a lot of comparisons uh, of this COVID recession, if you want to call it that, to the, ni- the early 90s. Um, but, but I keep saying, you know, 89, 90, 91 were terrible times in the real estate industry. 
Um, and a lot of our investors are in their late sixties into their seventies and have lived through this. Yes. Obviously me and my generation haven't lived through, you know, as many recessions. Um, but I don't, I don't compare Toronto today. Like I, I just don't see it. They're trying to compare this to the early nineties. And I'm, and I'm sitting here saying Toronto in 2020 is not Toronto in 1990. It just is so different. The amount of people, the right, the immigration, like what we've created here in terms of even the financial district, the, the, the third largest city in North America, like it, it's, it's not apples to apples to compare this market to the 90, to the nineties. And I don't know, maybe I'm naive because I get told that because I have, I have these, these optimistic, uh, I call them cautiously optimistic viewpoints, but well, I'm, I don't I'm see thinking, it. But I think you're going to back me up, Barbara, which I'm, I'm going to back you, you up yes. time, Steve. <laughs> um, but then, you know, one like I'm a very optimistic person and I do believe that in sales, you have to be optimistic. Absolutely. I, you can't operate from any other uh, platform. Um, but I, I agree with everything you said about Toronto. I think the big game changer in our industry was uh, the internet. Uh, you know, when I started uh, all that long time ago, uh, we used to do deals on, you know, handwritten on paper on the back of our car. And I was around when fax yeah. machines came in and in the early that, that was fascinating uh but in the early days uh you you you'd do your fax deal and uh a month later you'd go back to your file for whatever reason maybe it was coming up to closing and uh you'd find that all of the writing had disappeared because the fax paper was shiny and the deal <laughs> disappeared wow <laughs> imagine that yeah, yeah, but I mean that, that was then. Uh, so then, like the internet really changed. It, it became a game, game changer. And I remember when uh, you know we used to do those full page ads in the in the newspaper, and it was the phone number was the big thing. And suddenly it was the website became the big thing. Yeah. And uh, we started getting registrations online, and we're doing everything online. We're doing paperless deals, signing on iPads. Uh, we have uh, incredible proprietary technology at Baker Real Estate uh, that we've developed uh, with, like, from a strictly sales-oriented point of view. And uh, it, it has served us so well. And we've been busy during COVID uh, because when we got locked down and we couldn't get into our presentation centers, uh, we took all the assets across the entire GTA for every developer and, and prepared um, a, vir a virtual presentation. And then we started doing Teams meetings and Zoom meetings and selling virtually during COVID. But we also uh, went into a, a circle in, in our back office and, and started to develop an online sales tool, which I believe will become very important uh, once we're out of COVID, uh, because I do believe that technology will play a bigger part in in sales, no matter what, mm. uh, as as we move forward, uh, mm. so it's been, it's been an amazing journey. The internet was just wow, such a game changer. So, Barbara, have you always been? Uh, you 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 speak so eloquently, and you you have something about you. I mean, you you seem like a natural saleswoman. 
have you always been in sales or, or is this something that's developed over the career or, or were you selling lemonade in your uh, driveway as a kid? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, no, I, that, but I would like to believe that I have developed over time. Uh, Baker's a very successful uh, sales brokerage and um, we've gone from strength to strength and we sell a lot of condominiums every year. So uh, yeah, I think success begets success and uh, sure. it's been a hell of a ride. Absolutely. I, I had a question that I wrote down, which I thought was, uh, would be interesting to ask you is, is you mentioned that, you know, sales agents have to be positive. Yeah. So how do you go about hiring people like what 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 do you think makes a good salesperson uh and you know and obviously you're you have to have someone that you can groom to uh you know success to success so, so what are you looking for when okay. you're hiring uh well uh when i meet somebody i'm always like it's it's a conversation and um i mean they have to sell me uh, when I meet them. And uh, usually it requires a very positive, uh, you know, interaction. Um, I, I, I used to, I mean, you know, we have a, a human resources manager at Baker Real Estate who meets people first and then recommends uh, that the uh, senior management meets them uh, if they think they're really good. Uh, but in the early days, I would meet somebody, I'd ask them on a scale of one to 10, how lucky do you think you are? And it was stunning to me, the responses I used to get, like some people told me they were a three or a four. And you know, like that's not going to cut it when you're in sales. <laughs> Such a good question. I love that. I'm going to start incorporating that in some of my interviews. <laughs> like, uh, so, and then you'd get the one who'd say, oh, I'm a 10. And they weren't kidding. And I didn't know that they were going to go out and sell whatever they were trying to sell. So uh, it is very much, uh, I think uh, positivity is essential. And with a company like Baker, because we are a very established group, um, your resume has an awful lot to do with it. Like who have you worked for? What buildings have you sold? And I mean, our developers demand that of us anyway. They want experienced people on their, on their floors. So um, that's something that has developed over time. Interesting. Well, the, ne the next kind of question I had for you, you are you're our first female guest on uh, Toronto Under Construction. So we wanted, we wanted to make sure we're uh, being representative, but I, I do hear a lot of talk in the industry about- One out of nine, you're being representative. <laughs> yeah. uh, wow. I do hear a lot about the, the mantles- Called out, called out. <laughs> yeah, and all these, these real estate conferences. Um, but there's not a lot of females working on the development side of things, uh, or at least at the- at the senior side of things. Do you think that's gonna change and, and do, you, do you have any idea why that might be the case? Um, I, I do think that'll change. I, it is changing, um, but again, it is a very small percentage, like you say, but, but I see some of the younger women coming up in various uh, developer offices, and I think the future is very bright for them. Um, it, it's a funny thing, but, um, real estate sales was traditionally the, uh, the home of, uh, was women. It was women who were the sales force for real estate. 
Um, and that changed over time. I saw it change in Toronto, and it changed because of immigration. Uh, people would come in, um, men especially, they would need to uh, be able to, uh, to, to make money to pay for their, their lives, their families' lives, and they weren't able to get jobs in the, in the career that they had left behind in the old country. Mm. So they would look around and say, what am I going to do? I have to make money. And we got a huge influx of men into uh, real estate brokerage life. It didn't used to be like that. It used to be that women were the sales force because they were the homemakers and they were the the uh, the people who would have the you know they'd have a lot to say about the house and what you were buying. Um, but I've seen a huge change over the past thirty years. Um, and, uh, and, and today, uh, there are more men, uh, in the sales realm, um, but there's still a lot of women in it. Um, but, um, I, I do see women emerging more in the development world into positions of prominence. I mean, when, when I started meeting with developers, it was extremely rare to have a woman in the boardroom. Um, it's less rare, but it's still pretty male-centric. But I do believe in the future and change. Change is omnipotent. Sure. Another hot take. <laughs> We've got a lot of them. Ben, you wrote a question down on um, uh, on our notes here, and, and I'll let you ask it, but referring to uh, developers buying uh, uh, trips for top brokers. Tell me about that. I know that's sort of become a bit of a trend. I know that obviously there's a lot of incentives from the developers to the agencies to, to move the units. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the, what, what was sort of the, the nemesis behind that question, Ben? Well, I was just wondering, I mean, there's, I guess there's issues uh, I see sometimes, like I try to evaluate every site. Do I, do I think it's market? Do I think it's well above market for the consulting that I do for, for developers? So I see some sites that I think are, are overpriced and then some of them sell really well. And then I, you know, and then maybe two months later, I see 20 agents on a trip to Italy for, <laughs> with that developer. So I, you know, there's, there's questions sometimes if they're properly representing their clients, if one developer is offering trips to Las Vegas and the other one isn't. And I'm just curious how on your side of the, the fence, you know, what you think of some of those incentives that are being offered from the developer, not from you, but from the developer side of things. Well, you know, we've, and, and we have been on an upward trajectory in condominium, new construction condominium sales. And competition is good for the soul. And these developers are competing for, for attention. Uh, you know, they, they are building beautiful buildings, they've, they've got great sites, and uh, they want the attention. And as the market became more broker-centric, uh, this was a way to uh, reward the, the top producer agents. And so we saw you know, trips and gifts and such going to these top producers. 
And, you know, to my mind, they deserved them. They, they worked night and day. They were in their business 24-7. And I, I believe that uh, if you devote yourself and, and work hard, I, I believe that that is, uh, you should be rewarded. Uh, so I don't think uh, it has to be done like that. Um, I mean, probably the biggest success story of, of last year was 11YV, and we didn't have any trips. Um, you know, we had that one glorious, and I don't know when I'll ever see anything like it again, but we had that one glorious ROM event with a thousand brokers all really glammed up and it was some great guest speakers at that event as well you know to talk about the market i mean <laughs> yes you were there ben <laughs> and so was i i noticed I, notice I didn't get the invite there but anyways uh, <laughs> I, I didn't I i'll be making a then. phone call <laughs> what's that I didn't know you then. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, now you know me, so I'll, I'll be yeah. expecting the call for the next one. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I mean, that was uh, an incredibly successful uh, launch at a, at a top-of-the-market kind of price. And uh, it, it really was a huge success without any extraordinary incentives by the developer. It was a standard 4% commission. And, uh, and just the, I think the location spoke volumes, the address spoke volumes, and the marketing of the, of, of the building um, was perfect. Everything fit, and the result is that we're 98% sold within wow. six months. That was, a, that was an unbelievable sale. I guess the question I might ask is you said that was a, you know, almost a, a peak price. How often do you sit down with your developers and uh, you're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like I, that's way too much. I can't, I can't sell that. You're going to make a mistake here. Do you, do you have any of those conversations? Not very many, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> we definitely go in armed with research, uh, showing them what has been achieved, which would suggest what could be achieved. And uh, usually there are, uh, you know, independent uh, reports like your own at Bullpen and um, Somehow the conversation comes down to, it is very rare that we go out overpriced um, and we never go out underpriced. So uh, there tends to be a meeting of the minds. Um, usually the developer will push us a little above our comfort zone, but you know, that's why they pay us the big bucks, you know, is because we have to get them the money. <laughs> So what's your, um, what, what, how many projects would you guys have under, um, is it under contract? Is that, is that how yeah. you look at it? That's what you call it. So how many projects would you guys have under contract coming to market in the next, well, I mean, COVID aside in 2020? Oh, in 2020, we probably, we probably have, well, I don't know if they're coming in 2020. Yeah. <laughs> they were supposed to supposed come to in 2020. Uh, we certainly had a very robust pipeline with at least 20 developments uh, coming down the pipe. Yeah. Wow. 
So we'll see. I'm not expecting that they'll all go into 2020. I'm expecting some of them will shift into 2021. But um, nobody wants to be first out of the gate uh, after a crisis. Uh, so the market is watching intently uh, up on the fence. And right. the, the moment there's a feeling of success and it's possible to do it, I'm sure uh, we will see many developers uh, get down off the fence in, in the fall. And I anticipate a number of our, uh, our uh, developers selling in the fall. Okay, um, I got a tough question for you and you don't have to answer it, but you know your developer uh, base well. Who's, yeah. gonna, who's gonna be the, the market leader and, and launch the first big project post COVID? Oh boy, um, I think uh, that's a tricky one for me to answer because <laughs> they're they're not sure yet. Uh, we have we have a number of developers who are considering being out in the summer, if not the summer, definitely in the fall. A real, pol a real political answer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the question I have, and obviously you, you represent a huge number of the the downtown projects and the city of toronto projects yeah how concerned are some of your developers about you know you sharing information between developers do they ever ask you about that type of stuff absolutely uh we're we're <laughs> We're under uh, strict confidentiality as far as that goes. There is a very, very definite firewall about sharing any confidential information. Uh, the information belongs to the developer and we would not share it. Uh, we're certainly free to share uh, what's out there in the world, you know, uh, price lists that are out there in the world, but not the internal workings or the, uh, the data of belonging to any developer. We wouldn't dream of it. I don't think we'd last uh, more than 10 minutes if, if we were uh, behaving like that. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, you know, it's interesting that, uh, because I see you sell projects like right beside each other sometimes. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, in downtown Toronto, that happens. It happens less uh, in the 905. Uh, but in downtown Toronto, let's face it, there have been condo developments on every block. So are most blocks. So it's, it's harder to avoid um, in downtown Toronto. But, it, you know, usually there's a few blocks in between. Um, and, uh, you know, it's that it puts a spotlight on the area. And that's a good thing because there's com competition and that creates energy. And uh, there's, a, there's an upside to that too. For sure. Well, I got another question for you. I mean, you might not like this question, but I, 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 <laughs> I, love it. I, find, this, I find this interesting sometimes. Uh, and obviously, you know, I, I, I ran Urbanation. I tracked every single project that launched for six years. Yes. And, and I saw some brokerages get let go. And I thought, you know, that was completely because it was the wrong product, the wrong price. Baker has maybe once or twice in the past been let go from a site. 
do you take that personally? Would, would, do you, will you go back and work with those clients again in the future or just say, forget it, you know, I never want to work with you ever again? Oh, I never say never. <laughs> uh, never. <laughs> um, it has been, uh, there's something to be learned when something doesn't go your way. And, I, you know, I look back, it's, it has been very rare in our 26 years that that has happened. Um, there was usually uh, a very particular reason and it usually came down to the marketplace uh, at the time. Uh, very rare. I look back and I try to understand what happened because I do think um, certainly as the CEO of a company, you have to look at your history you have to you know, operate and execute in the present moment, and you have to have a plan for the future. So um, yeah, you gotta learn something when, uh, when the world pulls you up and deals you a hand that you don't like. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I, I've seen it in a million projects. It's usually, it has nothing to do with the sales team. It has, all to do with the, the price and the product of the, uh, the the project why something might not be selling so and and you know the developer may not want to want to have heard what was really going on in the world in that time and space uh, so they might have felt that uh, making a change would be the thing that they should do mm -hmm. um, but you know we move on yeah <laughs> Steve I got a question about, uh, so, you know, the podcast called Toronto Under Construction, the GTA is growing. Um, I looked on your website, you, you're doing some projects uh, in Burlington, uh, in Oakville, I think some stuff outside the city. What, what, um, what markets are you, uh, are you a fan of or what markets should we keep an eye on? Have you done anything? And I, I do personally, I do a lot of business in Kitchener, Waterloo, and even in Cambridge, we just, uh, we just approved a $118 million construction loan in Cambridge for two towers. Um, with pretty interesting numbers in my, from my perspective. Uh, I love that market. I think it's growing. We do stuff in London. We're in Ottawa. Uh, sort of from your perspective, Hamilton's been pretty hot. Lots of people talking about moving to Hamilton. Where should we, where should we uh, keep an eye on, both in the city of Toronto? Um, I saw you have, you're doing the merge project on uh, Kingston Road, which we're also working uh, with those guys on that one. Yeah, we're selling uh, great. You're fantastic. Yeah, no, that's been great. So, so should we keep an eye on Scarborough? Should we be keeping an eye on the West, the junction, north of the city? What, what, what pockets are you, uh, are you, are you watching or monitoring closely? Uh, I'm, I'm watching Scarborough. Okay. I think Scarborough uh, is seriously uh, underpriced and has so much room to grow. Uh, and I believe we're going to see it. Uh, the East End is really where the surprises are going to be, in my mind. Um, certainly, uh, 905 is uh, beginning to blossom. And part of that is that it's very hard to get in the door, get your foot in the door to real estate. And traditionally and typically, uh, new condominiums are the starting point so if you're a first-time buyer you're going to buy a condo so and there hasn't been an awful lot of new 
construction product available. So 905 for sure. Um, we, we've been selling like uh, very strongly in places like Brampton and Vaughn during COVID. But why wouldn't you at $800 a foot? Uh, yeah. it, you know, like downtown, you can't get anything under 1250. Right. So, uh, so really, I think there's an appetite for a more affordable product that the 905 will, will supply. And, um, and I think all the places you mentioned, Steve, are the future is bright. Um, I, I guess we're not in all of them, uh, like we're certainly in the uh, surrounding small places, uh, the 905, we're certainly well spread out across the 905. Mm -hmm. um, and we've seen great changes happen, like in Mississauga, yeah. uh, you know, like we started uh, selling at M City, I think we were in the mid 600s. And at the time, uh, Mississauga was actually selling in the mid 400s. Mm -hmm. And we completely uh, uplifted that uh, dollar per foot over uh, in Mississauga with M City. And today our product is closer to $1,000 a square foot. So yeah, you, you see it grow mm -hmm. and there's room for it all because we have the people and the appetite and, and the belief in our, in our business model. Well, we're getting, uh, getting close to the end of the time that we, we had you for, but uh, we haven't really touched a lot on, on maybe the changes that you might see coming with, with COVID-19. Do you think it might change the the mix of units, more plus dens so people can work at home, more different amenities, maybe amenities where there can be more social distancing, or do you think this would be more of a short-term trend and that we're gonna go back to what was working kind of pre-pandemic? Um, I think there will be changes. Uh, I know there's a lot of talk about how people would like more space. But more space uh, is, is, uh, requires a higher price. Expensive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, so I, I think what we will see uh, is, um, yes, you're right about dens. Uh, dens will be more important because having an actual space to work from will be more important. I think we'll see that in the amenities uh, where there will be the ability to section off uh, areas so that it could potentially be a gathering spot or it could be a privatized spot. I think we will see more of the uh, office-related type uh, areas as amenities. I think we're going to see a lot more touchless items where you either enter uh, keyless with, uh, with your iPhone or you don't touch buttons on elevators. I think you'll see a lot more of that coming. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I, I do believe that it all comes down to a function of price when you're uh, selling real estate and affordability is key. Uh, so all of these things, uh, it depends what costs a lot of money and what costs 
some money. And I think that uh, we'll see many changes that will reflect the some money part coming in uh, as, as we bring new buildings to the market. Certainly a huge change in terms of parcel deliveries and uh, online shopping. I think like for many people, they were not online shoppers, but COVID has changed that. Practically yeah. everybody has ordered something online and had it delivered and thought, wow, that was easy. Maybe I'll <laughs> check that out a little bit more. Uh, so I do think we'll see changes to the buildings in terms of parcel storage. And you see, that's the thing. You're designing buildings today for people who are going to live in them five, six years or more uh, down the road. Uh, you know, so I do think we have to pay attention to the lessons of today and reflect them in the buildings that we're bringing to the market. Okay. Yeah, definitely. Steve, any final shot? Any final thoughts? Uh, I, I usually like to ask a couple, just you know, questions for our listeners. They're always interested in, in um, you know, our, our guests and who they are, where they came from. One question I, I, I like to ask is, um, well, it's two part, two part. One is, is there someone in in your life or your career that you uh, would say is a mentor that you've learned a lot from that you'd want to acknowledge? And and the second part of that question is, is uh, if you had any advice. Um, for people starting their career or getting started in the business, um, you know, if you could go back and, and give yourself advice 20 years ago, what would it, what would it be, or what would you give to? What advice would you give to people getting started or or you know dipping their toe in the real estate uh, venture? Okay, well, the first part of your question, Steve, I would definitely give a massive call out to Pat Baker. Uh, she has been my mentor. She's our chairman today, and she founded the company. And, um, you know, I was at her right hand for a very long time before I, I became the CEO of the company, uh, which was about nine years ago. Um, Pat has been uh, central to my uh, business life uh, in new construction condominiums. So huge call out to Pat. Um, and with regard to how I would advise people today, uh, it's like there's a, there's a big difference between going to school and getting certificates and the actual practical application and mm -hmm. working in a business. It's very different. Um, you know, I think sometimes the University of Life is the most important university you can possibly attend. So uh, I do think that uh, when you're starting in real estate, you do need to have a little bit of a nest egg to, to carry yourself so that you're not constantly panicking and worrying about where you're where your check is coming from. Uh, you do need about six months expenses in your bank account to just give yourself breathing room. And, and then just apply yourself. I mean, you know, I didn't get where I am today without working 24 seven. Yes, I, I got breaks, but I got them because I worked hard. So I, I, I believe in a work ethic. And, uh, and, and I also believe that people are everything. And if you treat people the way you would like to be treated, I think you'll do well in business. That's a great answer. And I'll ask you one more question going back. 
Uh, I started my career as in sales. I was selling photocopiers. I was a door-to-door photocopier salesman for Xerox. Um, you know, I, I run the the origination group at Cameron Stevens. We have 15 uh, people in our, our sales team, I guess you could say. Just curious if you have a, a favorite sales book or a favorite sales uh, mentor or speaker that you've heard, or if there's a, you know, if, if there's any uh, literature that, that you've you've liked over the years that you would want to share with people interested in a career in sales? Oh gosh, there's so many books I've read. It's yeah. very hard. It's very hard to come down to, uh, to one because every day there are podcasts and, you know, speakers and this, gosh, there's so many wonderful people. I read a lot and I, I think that it's good to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's good to listen to a lot of varying opinions. Um, but, but once you, like you, let it percolate at the back of your mind but basically you put the book down and you focus on your own business uh i would say keep your eye on your own ball right i like it stay focused work hard treat people well yeah keep smiling well i think that's a good that's a good good place to uh i think that's a great place to end it off barbara thank you uh for coming and chatting and telling us about everything that's going on in the world. And thank you to Cameron Stevens Mortgage Capital for uh, sponsoring uh, the podcast. And uh, we'll we'll see everyone uh, next time. Thank you so much again for doing this. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. Welcome to Toronto Under Construction, a podcast about everything Toronto real estate. 